If you're new or you are visiting, and we, we've already mentioned it a few times, this is the season of Advent, and uh, this is now our, my 17th year as, as a pastor here at Living Hope to go through this season, and uh, what we do is we step out of whatever we've been studying, whatever we've been walking through, and we join in with the church historical to uh, observe this season. One of the main reasons we do that, we saw it last week, we're going to see it again today, uh, is that, that Advent conditions us in a particular way. It, it's, a, it's a time of reflection. It's a time of anticipation and, and of hope. It, it takes whatever our present is and it situates it between the past, namely the gift of Christ in his, in his life that we celebrate at Christmas, and it causes us or calls us, beckons us to look to the future, to the second coming of Christ, the second advent, when all of the promises of God will, will be fully and finally realized. And so we, we enter into this season with that sort of cadence or that rhythm about us, where we're looking back at what God has done for us in Jesus. And we've been doing specifically through the Psalms this year, how the psalmists are anticipating the coming Messiah or the favor of God in their day and age. Uh, but also we do it as people who look to the future, how God will step into our space once again, and heaven and earth will once again collide, and Jesus will, will come to restore and renew all things. And so today we do that by looking at Psalm 126, one of the Psalms of Ascent, that little headline you would see at the top, these 15 or so Psalms in the latter half of the book of Psalms, uh, uh, songs that were sung by Israel as they would make their, their pilgrimage back to Jerusalem, the Jews coming from all other parts of the world, going back to observe their high holy days and uh, practice what had been laid out for them in the, in, in, in the Torah and in, in the first five books of the Old Testament. They would walk on their way as they would ascend up to Jerusalem at the top of the mountain, singing these particular songs to be reminded and reoriented around the hope that they have in God. So we see that here in Psalm 126, beginning in verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and her tongue with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is the word of the Lord. I'll complete my, uh, I think, 45th trip around the sun on Friday. And uh, as I get older, and I don't know if y'all realize this, I'm really good at aging. I've figured that out the last couple of weeks, the past, past couple of years. Like gray shows up on me pretty quick these days. Uh, things break down. I hurt myself sneezing recently. That was a new feat. Um, but as I, as I continue to get older, I, the things that I value and the things that I prioritize really shift and change. And so this year, I've just been reflecting on the fact that I'm super grateful to be blessed by God, to have a handful of friends that have been friends for me for a really long time. And, and the, the depth of friendship that, that can only be accomplished via time is really a, a blessing. Because all y'all know this. If you have someone that you've been walking with for, for you know, a short period of time, there's just things that you got to catch them up on. Like you may be hanging out with them and you do something and they look at you weird and you got to be like, oh yeah, let me explain that. This is, I'm kind of odd like that. But if you've been friends with someone for a couple of decades, they're like, oh yeah, you're a weirdo. I'm well aware of that. I'm still your friend. And that's a gift. Like to have that experience of, of being friends with someone who kind of understands you. 
But beyond that, one of the great things about friendship that's gone for a long period of time uh, is that you have stories and you have history and you have hopefully developed some inside jokes. Like there are certain things that can be said that you'll laugh at and the other person will laugh at. No one else knows what you're talking about and you can't really explain it because you just had to be there, right? I got I, one, of my, one of my best friends, uh, every time I see the word chimichanga, I laugh because we have a story and I'm not going to tell it to you because it wouldn't be funny to you. You weren't there. But, but if I see that word, I'm like, oh yeah, that one time when we were at the Mexican restaurant and the guy ordered and the way he said it, was awesome. And so well, what's great about that with, with long-standing relationships is that you can recall things from the past that regardless as to whatever you're dealing with in the present, that, that past memory, that, that, that past experience can actually usher in those feelings and those emotions and, and those highs into whatever it is you're experiencing just by, just by looking back on it. You, you get, it's one of the gifts of God that memory can do that. You can recall these things and, and instantly have a, a change in, in perspective or in mood. Not only that, if you've had friends for a long period of time, and maybe you get to do this around the holidays, hopefully I'll get to do it some in the next couple of weeks, you get to schedule some time with those folks. And, and if you're like me, you know that, man, if you've had to manage a busy season of life, you've had to you know, be in spaces like awkward office Christmas parties or hanging around family that... Are we really related to them? You know, like those sorts of situations. It feels good to be around folks that you can just be yourself with. You don't have to give prefaces. You don't have to, to catch them up. They know you. You know them. And there's a, there's a freedom there. It also leads to anticipation to future gatherings. Now, I believe that, that that rhythm and that cadence that I talked about, that Advent trains us in, to, to look back and to look forward, that, that, that rhythm and cadence showed up last week when we talked about peace. We looked at Psalm 85 and how Israel reflected on the ways that God had ushered shalom into their existence in the past. And by reflecting on those moments, God would in their present usher in shalom or peace once again. Or by looking at the words that God had said and the promises that he had made, they could anticipate that into the future, God can be trusted to bring peace as well. And so today is no different. When we, when we talk about the idea of joy, so often, so often Christians especially bring their present circumstances into the equation, all their, their difficulties and challenges and sufferings. And then we ask questions like, how can I be joyful when I got this going on in my life? When, when it seems that things are unraveling, when, when it looks like the world, and gosh, if you guys watch the news, it's easy to see when it looks like the world may be unraveling. How do you, how do you come to experience joy? How do you not just know it, but, but sit in it and savor it and, and know that God is with you, providing it all along? Well, Psalm 126, again, one of the Psalms of Ascent, a, a, a repetitious song that Israel would sing probably upwards of three times a year to observe these high holy days is a psalm that teaches us how we can look back in, and, and, and reflect on God's faithfulness in the past and experience joy in, in the present while also looking towards the future, such that our present set of circumstances is counterbalanced by God's past faithfulness and his future promises. Uh, look back with me, if you will. The first three verses, we see Israel do just that. As it, the psalm opens up and, and begins with, uh, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. 
We, present tense, are glad. Did you catch that? They looked back on a time and a season when God had done the, the work of restoration. And when, when they were laughing and filled with joy. And when the nations looked at Israel and said, look at what God has done. And they say, we are, in fact, glad. Now, if you keep reading, you know that their present circumstances are not such that they should be a people who are laughing who are experiencing joy, who are experiencing gladness, because it says they're crying out for restoration. The shift happens in verse 4. It goes from what's happened in the past to what we want to see God do in the future. God, restore our fortunes like streams in the desert, this one particular place that is barren and dry, but every so often a big thunderstorm would erupt and water would come flowing in and stuff would go into bloom. God, do that again. God, take our tears that we're currently sowing and bring from them a, a harvest of joy. In other words, what the psalmist is teaching us here is that present sorrow does not terminate the prospect of joy. Your present sorrows do not terminate the prospect of joy in the here and now. Or maybe another way to say it is a kind of a subpoint here. The people of God can possess joy even amidst sorrow. Now, here's the challenge with that. So often when we think of things like sorrow and, and joy. I think it was Ro the great prophet Rob Bass who said joy and pain is like sunshine and rain. Uh, no, when we think about sorrow and joy, we think about those things on, on a spectrum. And we think that if we move in the direction of one, we're automatically moving opposite the other. So if you're in the season of sorrow, there's no way that, that joy can exist in your life. But the problem with that is that the spectrum's wrong. Maybe sorrow and happiness are on a spectrum. And if you're moving towards sorrow, you are, in fact, moving away from happiness. But joy is something altogether different. It's sort of the same way that we confuse knowledge and wisdom. So often we think that just because you possess a bunch of knowledge, you actually have wisdom. But that's not necessarily the case. I mean, it's been said that, that knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing don't put it in fruit salad, right? That's, you, you know that it's a fruit, but you don't really know what to do with that. Joy and, 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 and happiness are sort of the same way. You can experience happiness, but that can go away rather quickly. I think it was C.S. Lewis who once wrote in his book on pain and suffering. He said, look, I didn't become a Christian to get out of suffering and pain. He said, if I was looking for happiness, I was all well aware a bottle of port would do just that. That's not why I chose to follow Jesus. And so when we think about suffering and when we think about joy, we've got to realize they're not on a spectrum. Joy is something altogether different. You, you don't necessarily have to feel happy to possess joy. Joy is a, a state of, of being. It's, it's a way of, of understanding the, the way that God has ordered the world to work, such that there's a knowledge of, of God's sovereign care over all things, of the fact that God loves us and pursues us. And so no matter what we face, we can find and experience in the present some sense of joy. That's what the psalmist teaches us here. The psalmist looks back on these experiences of God's provision in the past the ways that God had worked to restore them, and then says, in the here and now, we are glad. Despite the fact that their circumstances seem pretty dire. Their situation seems upended, but they can still have joy. Now, if we were to do a deep dive on that this morning, I would show you how the rest of the New Testament tells this same story 
over and over and over again. In fact, the very ministry of the Apostle Paul is such that it seems that whenever he starts, right before he follows Jesus, he's, he saw the persecutor of the church, and it looks like he's at the top of his game, and he's experiencing the best the world has to offer. In fact, Philippians 3, he talks about that. Like His resume is, is outstanding, and he had control, and he had power, and he had zeal, and he had all these things. Then he meets Jesus, and he says, only if I may be found to live a death like his, that I could experience him and his sufferings, that I could experience a resurrection like his. In other words, following Jesus often upends our idea of suffering and joy being on this opposite end of a spectrum and instead resets joy as a perspective that we have as we suffer. For instance, Paul says in Romans chapter 5, He says, not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. We can have joy amidst suffering. Not only that, we can rejoice in it because we know that as we suffer, God is doing something in us. He's producing something in us, something that's not attainable by power or by might or by intelligence, something that's otherworldly. And in knowing that, Paul says, I can rejoice. I can have joy. Again, the book of Philippians, Paul is writing from prison, and he tells the church in Philippi, you can have and possess joy even now. James essentially says the same things in the opening chapters of his writings as well. James 1 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when we meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's what joy does. That's where joy is found, whenever we realize that joy is a state of being for the Christian, sustained by faith in Jesus. I love the way that G.K. Bill talks about it in one of his books. He says, Joy is not primarily an emotional high, consisting only of feelings. Rather, the focus is on an inner abiding attitude or disposition of taking pleasure in recognizing that whatever one encounters, including trials, is God's will. Therefore, to respond with joy in the midst of sufferings is to take pleasure in knowing that faithfully enduring such things pleases God. Now, the only way I believe that's possible is if we put into practice here what the psalmist shows us that the the Israelites would practice on their journeys back to Jerusalem. As they would sing these songs in a rhythmed fashion, they were being disciplined, practicing spiritual disciplines in order to foster this sort of joy in their hearts and lives by reflecting on the past, by going through this act of, of being reminded of God's past faithfulness. Because past faithfulness produces joy through disciplined reflection. They go back in these first three verses and they say, look, there was a time when God did these things for us, when he restored our fortunes. There was a time whenever we were filled with laughter, when our tongue was shouting songs of joy, when the nations looked upon us and said, man, look at them. Look at how they're living. Look at the joy they're experiencing. And by reflecting on that, Israel was putting into practice some some discipline that would bring about joy in the here and now. My contention this morning is that this act is an act of discipleship, of reflecting on who God is and what God has done, specifically in the person and work of Jesus, just as we're doing for this Advent season. Remember, he came for you. He, He was sent for you. 
God so loved the world that he gave his only son for you. And as you reflect on that, God can bring joy into the here and now in your life as well. A disciplined pursuit of Christ always leads us to the experience of joy. Now, last week, I told you I don't do this very often, but I'm doing it again. Last week, I told you all to, I have homework for you, to spend some time reflecting in order to foster peace in your life, go back and look at the ways that God has blessed you, the way that God has been favorable to you. Think of the ways that God has been merciful to you. Think of even how in your present life, had God not summoned you off of a path of destruction and off of a path of sin, your life may have been another wreck. But because God showed up, because he worked in your life, you in those moments can even now experience peace as you reflect back. I'm going to ask you to do it again. Do it for joy, though. How has God brought people into your life? What, what evidences of, of God's mercy and grace is manifest in your life such that you can experience joy? Uh, one of my favorite books ever written on this is about the Psalms of Ascent. It's written by Eugene Peterson. It's got my favorite title for the summary of what discipleship is, a long obedience in the same direction. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. A long obedience in the same direction. And each one of these Psalms of Ascent, Peterson writes a reflection on them about how uh, this, particular, this particular song that would be sung would reorient the heart and following the Lord in the ways that he had called us to follow him. And the one that he has on joy is spectacular. He says, joy is characteristic of Christian pilgrimage. It is the second in Paul's list of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. It is the first of Jesus' signs in the Gospel of John when he turns water into wine. Joy is not a requirement of Christian discipleship. It is a consequence. It's not what we have to acquire in order to experience life in Christ. It's what comes to us when we are walking in the way of faith and obedience. In other words, when you take time to slow down, when you take the time to reflect and to consider and to remember God's faithfulness, in those moments, God brings joy from what had happened in the past rushing into your life, even in the here and now, despite your circumstances or your sufferings. It's a gift that God has given to his people. In fact, I love how verse 2 says it. When the psalmist reflects back, he says, Our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. I believe laughter and gladness of heart are worthwhile pursuits of followers of Jesus. There is a... I'm just going to call it kind of a, a sadistic or a pathological hangover from fundamentalism that sort of exists in Christian circles where we think the more serious and miserable we are, the more God loves us. What a heresy. I mean, of all people on the planet who should be filled with joy, it should be believers who know that this story that we're living in the world that we live in is not the end of the story and that God is coming back for us. I mean, the fact that Jesus launches his public ministry by going to a wedding party and turning water into wine to where the people go, hey, man, why did they wait to bring the good stuff at, at the very end? What happened here? He upended the whole thing, the way that he ends his ministry by setting a table for his disciples on the night that he was to be betrayed. Leading up to his crucifixion, he has a meal. When he tells the story of his return for the church, what is it called? A wedding feast. They're singing and dancing, and the table is set. I mean, come on, church. Let's, let's get over this idea that if somehow we can just be miserable enough, then we'll you know, feel more holy. That's not the way God designed it to work. We sing songs of joy, smile, laugh, have fun. It's what God designed us for. 
It's why on the seventh day, Yahweh rested and beheld everything, and it was very good. I've been studying family systems theory now for a couple years, and one of the things that keeps coming up in conversations with my professors and whatnot is that uh, most chronically anxious families have a lack of playfulness. Those two things kind of coincide with one another. The higher your level of anxiety, the less likely you are to play. And if you want to reverse the trend, perhaps, do something fun. Find something to laugh about. Get an inside joke. See what God does with that. Laughter and gladness of heart are worthwhile pursuits for followers of Jesus. But how do, we, how do we get there? How do we flip the script? How do we, like the psalmist, then be reoriented by the fact of God's favor in our lives? Well, I think the psalmist teaches here in the latter half of Psalm 126 that future joy is stored up for us in hope-filled anticipation. Future joy. The, the, the thing that I know I will one day have in full and complete, uncut Uh, totality is that God will one day restore all things. And as I anticipate that and look towards that in the future, God brings joy into my life even in the here and now. Which means that recognizing whatever season you're in, you can prepare for what's coming next. That's wisdom. You're in a season of suffering. You're in a season that has lots of sorrow or grief. I mean, Solomon would write in Ecclesiastes 3, that's life. There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. There's a time to plant. There's a time to pluck up what has been planted. That's the way life works. But you can lean into those seasons with some hope-filled expectation because you know God is up to something. God's going to do something. God keeps his word. As we lean into the Christmas season, especially next week, as we get closer and closer to celebrating the birth of Jesus, go back and look at Luke chapter 2. Look at the way that Simeon and, and Anna the prophetess had these rhythms and these patterns and set in their life where Simeon would go to the, the temple every day seeing is today the day where the promise that God had made to Israel is coming to fruition. It's today the day whenever, that I've been longing for and hoping for and anticipating when God shows up and does the thing. And when he sees it, it says that he rejoiced. He was filled with joy. Same thing for Anna. How are you going about recognizing the season that you're in and placing it within both God's faithfulness in the past, but also his promise and anticipated future that he has? And here's the simple fact that I want you to know as we close today. Based on what the psalmist is teaching us here in Psalm 126, sorrow is temporary, but joy is permanent. That's the good news, y'all. It's Samwise Gamgee and the return of the king and the Lord of the Rings. Everything that was sad is about to become untrue. That when Jesus comes for us and restores us and renews us, as we hope for and anticipate that, we set our present sorrows, which have an end in sight, amidst an eternity that has nothing but joy forever. Forever. Again, as Peterson says in a long obedience in the same direction, joy is nurtured by anticipation. If the joy-producing acts of God are characteristic of our past as God's people, they will also be characteristic of our future as his people. There is no reason to suppose that God will arbitrarily change his way of working with us. Thank the Lord. What we have known of him, we will know of him. Just as joy builds on the past, it borrows from the future. It expects certain things to happen. So God, would you grant us this morning that hope-filled expectation that anticipation in our souls that looks for and longs for and desires the second coming of Jesus where all things will be made new. 
where we will taste restoration, where we will, we will have our hope realized. The things that we see now dimly through, through darkened glass will be made absolutely and abundantly clear. And we will have joy forever. So Lord, would the fact of that this morning, the truth of that this morning, so rest on us in our present circumstances that we get even just a small foretaste of joy together. Let us sing about it. Let us rejoice in it, Lord. Let our hearts be glad and our mouths be filled with laughter again. In Jesus' name, amen.